Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jones Bowden He's got it England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins Stokes flashes it away through the covers for four and England have won the match Hello, welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket Simon Hughes in England Simon Mann in Pakistan and it's been an, another intriguing day, the second test match, the first day, a slightly short day, of course, with the light fading, but no shortage of interest and entertainment. England just up against it slightly, I'd say, having scored 281 all out, uh, with Pakistan looking pretty good at 107 for two on a turning pitch. And they have all the assets, I would say, in terms of spinners anyway. What an amazing debut, Simon, for Abra Ahmed. Yeah, fantastic. Um, held back, actually, because he, he should have played or could have played in the last Test match. And then Zaid Mahmood played and went for over 300 runs. And he comes out and he takes the first seven wickets. England attacking him, trying to attack him, trying to put him under pressure. But it didn't always work for them. And, and actually, of the seven wickets that he took, four were out to attacking shots and three to defensive shots. So it wasn't just all about all that attack and sacrificing wickets with that ultra-aggressive approach. And he did bowl three out today, and he's got this delivery which he sort of flicks off his ring finger that is not easy for some of the players to read. And you, you, you need to see the, the recording, the replay of Ben Stokes' face when he was cleaned up by Abra. It was like, a, ooh, how, how did that happen? Lovely ball that slid past the outside edge of his bat and hit the top of off stump. So, yeah, it was a bit, not self-inflicted, that's not the right word, but it, it was there was some aggressive batting and England uh, lost wickets as a result, but also he bowled some players out. Fan- fantastic debut. Well, what did you do on your yeah. first-class debut, Oz? Can you remember your, what did you come up with on your debut? All those, well, look, it's a slightly, slightly contrasting experiences, really. But in fact, I got four wickets on my first-class debut. It was at Lords. It was against Kent. And I think, as with Abra, I, I benefited from people having not seen me before. Uh, and of course, it, it's an unusual circumstance, isn't it? Nowadays, the homework has been done by all the analysts and the and the team to look at bowlers very carefully before you face them. Normally, there's a lot of footage of them, especially if they've been playing, say, in county cricket or in Australia. There'll be lots of footage of domestic cricket, which they can analyse. I wouldn't have thought there'd be all that much of Abra Ahmed. I, I know he took 43 wickets this year so far in the in the Pakistan first-class arena, but there won't have been 
quality footage perhaps available in quite the same way or it won't have been as easy to get hold of and actually this kind of bowler is something that the bowler that the batsmen don't see very often wherever they play uh, so I think he he had that advantage in a way in the same way as I did when when I first came on the scene in, in the 1980s when of course there was no TV pictures at all in fact I remember my dad once trying to record a game I played in and, you know, just getting the whole thing wrong and the, all the whole pictures corrupting and everything. So it was hard getting footage in those days. Now it's easier. But I, in a funny sort of way, I wonder whether footage would have even worked with Abra Ahmed because he has such an unusual action. Ben Duckett uh, said to me afterwards, I said, have you seen any footage of him? You know, what, what, are you, what, was, your like, what was it like in terms of preparation? And he said, well, to be honest with you, I don't like to look at, at much of that because it can scramble my mind. And I'm starting to think, you know, which way is it going to turn? And I just, I just want to go out, basically, I think, just go out and play my way, sweeping and reverse sweeping. I did have a tweet, uh, a message from someone called David Battersby. He said... Um, on the live stream of, of, of the Pakistan website, the Sindh cricket team were featured in several matches, all played in Pindi. So those of us who watched were well aware of Abra Ahmed and his talent. He took wickets for fun. And he said he's also a good lower uh, middle order bat as well. So it was there to watch if you wanted to see it, according to Dave. And obviously some sort of aficionado and he, he was watching it and watching Abra. And, you know, he, it didn't surprise him at all uh, what he came up with today, Abra Ahmed. I spoke to him afterwards. Uh, the interview was done in uh, in, in um, Urdu. He, he, he wasn't confident enough in English with a, with a translator. It was just a fantastic day, you know, for him, wasn't it, to come out and, and do that. Uh, today, uh, I asked him whether he considered himself a leg spinner or a mystery spinner. He sort of slightly uh, <laughs> dodged the question, but he has got a bit of mystery about him, uh, yours, hasn't he? I, I mean, that ball he, he flicks. I, I don't think everyone picked that. What, what's your Urdu like? Uh, well, mine's non-existent. Um, <laughs> so, but I asked the questions in English. He answered them in Urdu through a translator, and then the translator translated them. So, uh, UK audiences who don't speak Urdu, and there will be people in the UK who will be able to speak Urdu, but, you know, will be able to. Um, anyway, so everyone can understand so to uh, what he's saying. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I think he's quite similar to, to Majib, actually, the Afghanistan mystery spinner, for want of a better term, uh, because he, he uses his fingers a lot, more than his wrist, actually, he, or even his leg break is sort of almost flicked out rather than, you know, when you watch someone like Shane Warne or one of the great leg spinners, the orthodox leg spinners bowl, their, the, their hand, as they let go of the ball, is facing the ground. The palm of their hand is almost facing the ground and their wrist is pointing away sort of at right angles to the pitch. Whereas when Abra bowls his leg spinner, his hand is pretty much facing the batsman and his wrist is down the wicket. So he's not getting as much wrist action on the ball in a way. But what he's clever at is using his fingers to flick the ball out both for a leg break and also for the googly going the other way or the top spinner going the other way. And it's, it's harder to pick up that because with a wrist spinner, when they're bowling the leg break, the hand is facing the, gra the ground. And when they're bowling the googly, the hand is reversed and it's sort of almost facing behind them. So you can actually see the difference if you're a hawk-eyed batsman anyway. But uh, with, with Abra Ahmed, there's less distinction between the two deliveries. So you're almost looking more for the finger positions 
And I think from actually watching a bit of uh, slow motion footage, his middle finger points up more when he's bowling his googly. So that's just a little signal to look out for for batsmen. The thing is, it's all very well saying there is footage around of him playing you know, in domestic cricket and so on. But there won't be the quality footage which test players really need. And that is the big close-ups and slow-mos of the batsman, sorry, of the, of the bowler running it towards the camera. Uh, which is a specialist camera that you only get really for for international cricket because they've got the number of cameras they have. They'll have one camera which is known as the the the, the, the slow mo camera, and that one focuses you know very much on the bowler and his hand as the ball is coming down, and that's the one that the batsmen really need. And they're not going to get that from domestic cricket. I suppose what will happen is the is the more he plays, the more he'll be uh, recorded, and the more players will see it, as as you say. And you know, I can think of someone like Ajanta Mendes who played for Sri Lanka, and he was a sensation to start with. And India couldn't work him out. I remember him taking something like six for twelve in the Asia Cup, and it was you know they were totally bamboozled because they hadn't really seen him before, and it was a revelation. And you thought this guy's going to have a, a fantastic career, but of course, what does happen, as you say, that everyone picks up the videos, has a look, looks looks for tells in the in the bowler's delivery and gradually it tries to work them out. So what will be interesting here is how much Abra uh, is worked out and they, you know, and, and played. I mean, it, it wasn't as though he was he totally bamboozling because they actually flogged him a bit as well. They smashed him. I mean, he, he went 22 overs for 114, but of course he was taking wickets uh, along the way. And, and, you know, that's fine. You've, you, you certainly settled 714 from uh, 22 overs, but he was hoofed around a bit as well. It, you know, it, it wasn't a day when he totally dominated and bamboozled but he he did cause England enough problems England 281 all out it looked as if they were go, you know going to build another dominant score 117 for one at one stage at lunch again you know they they powered on to 180 but they had lost five wickets and and, and that was the key today that was the difference between here and Ralpindi where England went to lunch with that wicket down and they were able just to press the accelerator and of course went on to make 500 but it was a very different sort of pitch I mean it, that Pindi pitch was flat we should just emphasize it the Pindi pitch was flat flawless surface as far as the batter's concerned now this one uh, and again going back to Ben Ducky he made the point he, he got a delivery earlier on from Fahim Ashraf who, when he ran his fingers across the ball and it spun it, almost, it sort of spun turned in and just missed the off stump and he said from that moment we knew that the spinners were going to you know get quite a lot out of this surface so it's a, it's a completely different surface but have England got enough runs is 281 enough to be working with in their first innings well, good question. Uh, I mean, I think actually, going back to the pitch, I think Abra Ahmed, perhaps it was part of the Pakistani master plan to not play him in that first test because he wouldn't have got much out of that pitch. And meanwhile, England would have been able to read his variations and be kind of aware of them and more conscious of them. And then they could they were better prepared for a pitch like this where he's going to have some impact. So perhaps that was Martin... Part of the Pakistani master plan is to keep him away from that flat pitch and get him to work on a pitch where he was actually going to have some impact. And, and obviously he had a, a wonderful impact. Five wickets before lunch. Uh, it was extraordinary on, on debut. And I loved the dismissal of, of Zach Crawley, actually, in his first over. A few little leg breaks just to sort of get him going and then tossed in the googly, totally befuddled. Crawley bowled between bat and pad through the gate. Absolutely delicious first test wicket. Absolutely fantastic. England were positive throughout. Uh, I'm not sure Duckett could read him. 
I think Stokes tried to, but then he was done as well by the googly. A uh, beautiful bit of bowling. Uh, I, England sort of flourished in, in ebbs and flows a little bit. There was that good partnership between Pope and Duckett. And also, uh, latterly, Stokes and, and Jacks got it back on track a bit. And then Mark Wood with some lusty blows at the end. 281, it all depends whether England can find some assistance in the pitch to counter that performance. I would say 280 is a bit under par. I think on first day, even though I know it was turning, they'd probably be looking for 340 sort of score, I, I, I would say. You know, it was a Fastish outfield. The, the seam has had, had nothing, no real impact. None of the other spinners looked that dangerous. I know Mahmoud took three wickets and he spun the odd one, but you could play him, I think. So I think 280 was a little bit under par. 340, 330, 340 would have been good, but it's still something to defend. It just depends whether, I think, really, Jack Leach can get more consistent and get into the, the Pakistani middle order because he wasn't, although he was getting the odd ball to turn, he wasn't putting them under enough pressure and bowling enough wicket-taking deliveries. So I, I suspect at this point, I think Pakistan will get a small lead. I'm backing Pakistan to get a lead as well. I mean, I thought 350, something like that in the first innings was more of a, you know, would have been more of a working total uh, for England and they, what, they fell you know, 70 short of that. Um, it was Again, it was ultra entertaining cricket. I mean, the ball was being smacked here, there and everywhere. England scoring it over five runs and over. But I, I just thought little things. Uh, Jack Leach came in and played a reverse sweep first ball and was bold. Now, Mark Wood at the other end was, you know, was showing us, you know, a certain degree of aptitude. In fact, I thought Wood actually batted really well. He had eight fours in his 36 not out. And then even Jimmy as well went for reverse. I know that's his shot, but it seemed to me at that stage, Jimmy could have just, you know, just blocked for Wood and get Wood on strike and see whether they could, you know, I mean, at one stage, Wood was almost hitting every ball for four. So I, I, just little things like that towards the end. But it, it seems unfair to blame the tail enders for England not getting 300 plus I mean the, you know, the, the top order uh, needs to do the job and as, as we were saying earlier three of them were bowled out so you know you know well played Abra you know that's that's uh, you know uh, an excellent thing to do on the on the first day to actually with a with a legs break bowl or, or a or mystery spin or whatever with your googlies take down three of the top seven and that's exactly what he did so you know fair play to him uh, I suppose the, the one, I, you know, the one person who might just be sitting there feeling frustrated tonight, really frustrated, would be Joe Root, who was playing so calmly in the, in the first part of his innings, just knocking the ball around, taking singles, and then he got pinned by one that pitched just in, you know, just on leg stump, spun, bounced, and hit him on the back leg, and he was pinned LBW ball, just hitting the top of off stump, which I thought was a, actually a really big moment in the day because I thought Root. Would have been, you know, could have played Abra and would have mastered him and would have dealt with him. But so that wicket to me was a, a, a really big moment, and you know, he, Abra knocked him over, and that that set, really set England back. Yeah, I actually think um, Root and Pope to me were the two best players of spin because they're so nimble and they use the crease brilliantly. Both of them get right back on their stumps to play the shorter ball and then get out of the crease down the wicket to try and repel the fuller one. So they're upsetting the bowler's length, the spinner's length. Also, they both have the, the reverse sweeps and so on as an option. So it must be a nightmare, actually, bowling to both of them. And I think they certainly, until he was out, I thought Ollie Pope 
really judged it well. He worked the ball off, off his pads through the leg side. He was looking to come down the wicket, but he didn't go for the big shots. He was just trying to upset the bowler's length and, and nudge it into the offside sometimes, occasionally playing the reverse sweep. He started his innings, didn't he? First ball with the reverse sweep. Amazing, actually. Incredible yeah. range first of shots. Ball. And Root, uh, yeah, first ball. And Root also very... Uh, nimble at the crease and reading the length excellently. I think he was actually just done for length on that one that dismissed him. It was just a tad fuller than maybe he thought or maybe just a little quicker. And it spun a lot. Uh, it spun from leg stump to off stump and he was pinned on the back leg. And in fact, the umpire didn't give him out and it was reviewed, and obviously he had to go in the end. The umpires had a difficult day, didn't they? There was a number of decisions yeah. that, that they had to have reviewed and had to be overturned, but it's always so difficult being an umpire with spinners on and the ball turning like that. Yeah, Maria Rasmus said at the start of the day, I mean, Agus went out and had, you know, just having a chit-chat with him. He said, I think we're in for a busy day today. And he was right. You know, it's tough on, on big spinning pitches for, uh, for umpires to, to get it right. And there was, a, there was another one at, uh, towards the end as well when Shafiq was caught behind. England went up. How's that? You know, everyone everyone went up, given not out. England reviewed it straight away. Yep, and there was a feather. Um, I think Shafiq knew he'd, he'd, he'd hit it, but of course he just hoped to get away with it. And so that was the, the, the second wicket and the, and the first wicket uh, for Jack Leach. I thought... Jack, he just bowled a bit short. There was always a ball that that, that the batters could escape with, really. I think that, that was the problem uh, with, with Jack Leach. But, I mean, he's going to be England's he's a big player for England tomorrow. He's on 99 test wickets. So, yeah, one short of the 100. It's it's a big day. There'll be a bit of focus on him tomorrow. And I, I thought Baba played so well this evening. He, he just looked so in control. And... Absolutely nailed on for 100. I thought in the first things, the last test match, you looked nailed on for 100 fairly early on. I remember saying at lunchtime, you know, goodness me, they're going to take something to dismiss him here. And in the end, he made about 130 odd and he was out to, I think, well, he, he, he was a big surprise when he was dismissed. And you, you feel that he is such a, it almost goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway, that he is such an important player for them tomorrow. If he, if he gets in, and goes, you know, and bats for most of the day, then Pakistan will be in a, a great position by the close of play. But I'm not sure how they're going to dismiss him. Well, it may be the pace bowlers. We, what do you think of this so far, then, Yoz? That we had a couple of those from Jimmy Anderson. He did take a wicket. He was taken off. We saw a, a burst from Mark Wood. Nothing from Stokes. And nothing from Ollie Robinson uh, so far. Do you, do you see that, even though it's a, a pitch that's offering to the spinners, do you think they'll have a bit more of a role... Had to play tomorrow, reverse swing perhaps? Definitely. Uh, I think it's uh, a much more crumbly pitch than the Royal Pindy one. That will in, in, in scuff the ball up, abrade the ball pretty significantly. I think they're, they're saving Robinson for when the ball reverses. I mean, I thought he, he really exceeded himself in that first game, the way he bowled reverse swing towards the end of the match. Never uh, sort of imagined he would do it as well as that. And so I think he's already uh, almost emerged as possibly England's best reverse swing bowler with Anderson. And obviously Wood will have an impact as well. So you want to save those three for when the ball is starting to go, which will be probably early tomorrow after, you know, five to ten overs. It might just be in the right condition. So probably start with spinners and then have the have the seams come on, come on afterwards. Obviously, Wood was brought on after only two overs from Anderson because Baba was in and had taken 
Bubba's wicket in a couple of the T20 games. There also is a, a general feeling, I think, that Bubba is a little bit susceptible to short pitch bowling. He likes to get leg side of the ball and try and sort of cuff it or uppercut it, uppercut it on, on the offside rather than pulling and hooking. And sometimes that gets him into trouble, as it did in the first test when he was bounced out. So... I think that that was the tactic would tried and he bowled fast, didn't he? But they actually played him pretty well. So he's going to probably have, need to mix it up a bit when he comes back and try and find that late swing as well. I wonder. I just wonder whether England might rue not picking a, another spinner, actually. There's obviously the 18-year-old Rian Ahmed available and I just think perhaps they could have done with an, with an extra spinner looking at the state of the pitch. Yeah, big call, isn't it, to, to to pick him at the age of 18. He's only played three first-class matches. But, yeah, the conditions, I think, cried out for a, a second spinner for England. Uh, they've got Root and they've got uh, Will Jacks as backup. And, and Jacks took six wickets in the first innings on, on his debut test match. And Root has got, you know, uh, enough... Uh, test match wickets, enough first-class wickets to have some sort of say on this surface. But it, it felt as though it cried out for a, a second spinner. I mean, quite tough on folks that they left him out and they played Ollie Pope to try to increase their bowling options I mean you could see what they were doing with Mark Wood can't you they want that extra pace when we looked at Ralph Pindy there were times they thought yeah could we just force the issue with that extreme pace and he did get up he got up 96 97 miles an hour today that's the bizarre thing about watching it when you watch it with the naked eye they, they just Barbers just seem to play it so easily at times, even though there's great pace, but the pitch is, you know, like it was in Ralpindi, is slow. So you can, you can see what they were trying to do with their team. Um, not, you're probably not going to leave And well, you're not going to leave Jimmy Anderson out. You're not going to leave Robinson out. They wanted Wood in the side. Um, they already left folks out. You can only pick eleven yards, can't you? I mean, that's 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 the problem. And but Rihan Armin could bat, but it's, it would be quite a big call to leave Jacks out, say, and play Rihan Armin, wouldn't it? I mean, Jacks had a, a, a solid game in that, that, that first match, wickets and useful runs, and he actually made some useful runs here today. But you, you, you talk, this pitch is sort of crying out for Monty and Graham Swan, isn't it? That sort of combination. And then I think it would be quite tricky for Pakistan. Right, so you've had your eight-hour journey from... Mulpindi to Multan. Tell us a bit about that. And also, how is it in Multan compared to Mulpindi? Well, totally different. I mean, we were staying in Islamabad, so we were travelling from Islamabad to Mulpindi, and they're they're quite close together. The journey to the ground each day was about uh, 20 minutes. And Islamabad is a very ordered, uh, green city, new city, and all laid out in in grids. Um, This is completely different. The drive down was actually stunning. To the hills uh, from north of Pakistan, from Islamabad down through the. I mean, it reminded me at, at times of being in uh, you know, California. Some of the terrain, the rugged terrain north of, of Los Angeles. Anyone who's been in that area will know what I'm talking about. And then down through the the hills, it's motorway all the way. <laughs> it's incredible, but motorway all the way, uh, toll road. And uh, we stopped a couple of a, a couple of occasions. Uh, and then down onto the plains, sort of flatlands, orange groves. Uh, we we drove through into Multan, and then that was that was what you might consider to be more you know, traditional uh, Pakistan. You know, t- teeming streets, uh, food stalls, uh, bustling roads, uh, all, you know, all sorts on the roads. 
Um, so in, into our hotel. But what, I think what's been noticeable here, Yoz, is the extreme security there. You know, it, they've really thrown everything at it. We were free to go out in, in Islamabad. You know, we would, we would uh, get in our bus and off we would go. Here, it's very different. We wanted to go out and see some of the sights um, on our sort of, sort of nominal notional day off after the travel day here, but no, we couldn't. You'd have to get permission from someone high up in the police uh, to have an escort out into the city. And so we, you know, we spent the day in the hotel, which we didn't think was going to happen. Um, and that was, that was one of the days. Actually, yesterday we went to the ground, and then on the way back, we have this special detail with us. We had armed, armed guards to go and actually go and see uh, some of the sites of, of Multan. But we got a real indication tonight of the level of security and the amount of security that's been thrown at this test match to get it on. So we, tonight, we in Ralpindi, there's a, a, a player's convoy where they shut all the roads off. And we weren't a part of that, so we were. We had to wait for them to open the roads up, and just wait in our minibus patiently. If we got if we got our timing wrong tonight, we were um, allowed to come back in that sort of players' bubble, if you like. And this is about ten miles. So if you can imagine London, sort of ten, ten miles of London or Manchester or whatever, where all the roads are shut off, and special lights are put up, and police are lining the whole, just about the whole route then that was what it was like this evening. You really got a sense of the scale of it. And so we were coming back into the main part of Multan, and there were side roads, and there were loads of people just waiting at the end of the side roads for the, for the blockade to be lifted. And they were all, you know, there were soldiers all the way on the, the way preventing people from coming out of the side roads. Can you, can you imagine that? You know, imagine um, Euston Road blocked off and all the roads along it people just waiting to come out but armed you know armed guards or soldiers police or whatever blocking all the side roads say along Euston Road the road that goes from you know uh by say Paddington all the way through to King's Cross that was what it was like this evening eerie actually it was quite eerie it's it's amazing isn't it and you're not gonna you're not gonna it's it would funnily enough I have experienced a similar thing and it, it wasn't in India or Pakistan it was in the British Isles. It was actually in Wales, right? Mm. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not making this up. I actually attended Cardiff against Swansea, right? At football, obviously. Yeah. And I travelled with the Cardiff uh, supporters from the Cardiff ground on a Sunday morning. They made the match a Sunday morning start so that people couldn't get stuck into the, mm. the beers too early. And we left in a convoy of 40 coaches from Cardiff all the way along the M4. The roads were, were cordoned off and we had police outriders and helicopters following us. And then when we got to Swansea, the whole city was shut down. There were those barricades along all the main roads so that nobody could come near the vehicles. We, were, we went in convoy to the ground, the Swansea football ground, and were shunted into a side entrance to the ground and caged in, and the same on the way out. And it was the most hostile environment of a sporting event I've ever experienced, Cardiff against Swansea, absolutely unbelievable. But a similar situation. People were sort of almost cowering in their houses, you know, not allowed to go out um, because of the sort of potential for, obviously, uh, some kind of confrontation. And uh, amazing. So... It does happen sometimes in the British Isles, but I, I can imagine in, in your situation, uh, there were just, you know, 15 times more military and police around to ensure the security of everything. Yeah, I think that was, that was the thing that surprised me. You just, you just realised the scale of it. 
you know, you think a ten-mile route, and not, and also a, a lot, on, a lot of the route as well. There was sort of special lights put up, so someone must have gone along putting all those up, you know, for miles and miles and miles to illuminate the route. And it was, it was, it was a really eerie process. Almost like there was no one around, but if you if you peered through the dark, you could see people, you know, in the in the side road, just just waiting to come out. It's almost like penned in. Um, is, is it good for the? For the sort of local economy, when that sort of thing happens, you know, probably not, and you know, actually, probably really irritating for the for the locals, and and all that to to get a test match on here in Malta. New Zealand are due here in early January as well. There's another test match being played here. I presume they're going to do something similar for New Zealand as well. So you know, it, it is a to get a game on. It just shows the the, the level that they have to go to uh, locally. Yeah, I mean, I suppose or feel it's, they have it's to understandable, go to. isn't it? It it is understandable though, isn't it? Because they have had bad experiences. Obviously, the the incident with the the shooting uh, in the, the, the during the Sri Lanka series, mm. uh, two thousand and nine, I think it was, wasn't it? And and also uh, there was a bomb at the hotel when New Zealand were on tour in Pakistan around the same sort of that time. That was a long. So, that was a bit earlier, wasn't it? I think. Yeah. I mean, those mm. are obviously those are historical mm. moments, but they're still kind of fresh in the memory of probably many people who were connected with it and it, it just sends shockwaves through the sporting world and players will, won't travel, will they? Right. So they have to kind of go over the top with their, with their security plans. Yeah. I mean, one, one thing where we are, that there's, we're in this sort of hotel area here where the England team hotel is over the way about, I don't know, I can see it from in the distance, I don't know, half a mile away, something like that. And the whole area is, is sealed off as well. So the locals can't... There's a park across the hotel from where we're staying, and it's a lovely park, but you can't go in it at the moment. So you've got a week where the locals can't exercise in that park. It's got a jogging track and people probably promenade along. You can't go in it. The roads are, are shut off. Although yesterday, uh, sorry, the, uh, the day before the game, uh, I was on the roof of the hotel in the morning before we went to the ground to do our preview programme for uh, Radio 5 Live. And I was just um, working away on my computer, and suddenly I hear this cack, 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 cack sound, and it was shots being fired. I thought for a moment, is, it, is that firecrackers going off? No, that sounds like gunshots. And it, it indeed was uh, gunshots. There was a, some sort of local shootout, and I, was, I started, I thought, I, I sort of used, you know, I thought I'd get my phone out and I'll record, see if I can record what's going on from high up on the, on the seventh floor. I'm not sure if that was the right uh, thing to do, but, uh, you know, the, the, the journalist in me came out. And but not but the journalist in me came out, but also one of the hotel staff came out and said, "Get in, sir! Get in! Get in!" and and they, you know made me go off the roof and and back into the hotel. And so we, of course we didn't know what it was to start with. Um, and it but suddenly it was sort of local two local gangs, um, some sort of a shootout. Um, but it was you know it was quite sustained gunfire <laughs> for about you know twenty twenty thirty seconds. Um, and you know that's that was quite well, close to the England yeah. Hotel, quite close to our hotel as well. Probably you know half a mile away, uh, barely even that. Yeah. So uh, that was that was. You know, um, you know, the, the, the time I visited Pakistan, we were taken uh, off limits into a tribal area when we were uh, staying in Peshawar to a, a tribal village, a, a sort of a, a, just a normal village really, but in the tribal area, and you had to have a permit to be allowed in and all this. It was a normal-looking subcontinental town with, you know, shops on either side, but every shop sold yeah. guns. And you were able to go into a shop and point to various guns that were in the glass cabinets behind the desk and say, can I try that, please? And they'd hand you a Kalashnikov 
or you know a Colt forty five or something, you go upstairs onto the roof of the shop and fire it into the distance mm. and try it out. So <laughs> their kind of culture of their gun culture is probably still quite prevalent. Yeah. Well, I've I've never seen uh, as many guns in a short space of time as I've seen since I've been in Pakistan. It's especially here in Multan. You know, there's so many armed police and armed military around. Anyway, that's some of the flavour of, of of being here. Uh, yours, everything to everything to play a cricket match. It seems a bit bizarre, really, just to play the the, the grand old game of cricket. A, a, a cricket match that has been, uh, you know, again, fascinating. Today we've had, we've, do you know what we've had? Twelve wickets for three hundred and eighty-eight runs in seventy-nine point four overs today. We have seen a guy take seven four on his debut. We've seen more aggression for England. We've seen six England players act to sweep shots. We've seen England score seventy-seven runs from 50 balls of, of sweep shots. I mean, you know, England have swept today, scored runs, profited, but also perished as a result of the sweep. And after the first day, I think Pakistan, are, they have the advantage. They, do, they will have to bat last, but if they can get a decent lead, thanks to Barber and, and, and also Shaquille as well, I thought played really well tonight. He was nice and positive. He blocked in the, in the first game, but he was positive today, 32 not out. If Pakistan can get a lead, then they can... You know, put put some pressure back on England with those uh, leg spin bowlers, and in particular, uh, Bra Ahmed. So it's all for England to do, I think, on, on the second day. Pakistan have the advantage after the first day. It sounds like then that's a reinvention of the the old phrase "live by the sword, die by the sword." To live by the sweep, die by the sweep. Well, we'll probably see more of it when England bat in the second innings. And one other thought, by the way, I've started a new Twitter handle, which is the Analyst Pod. So if you go onto at the analyst pod, you'll find pictures that we've posted from our various uh, exploits. And today I've I've put a, a little picture on of Abra Ahmed's two deliveries in a sort of split screen, two different grips that you can kind of see. So the idea behind that uh, Twitter handle is just to sort of post our thoughts or our experiences or our pictures or whatever. Uh, and get some thoughts from from you, the listeners, as well. Uh, what you want to hear about, observations, etc. Uh, thoughts that you have as you're watching or listening to the game, and uh, we'll keep uh, we'll keep updated on that Twitter feed. So it's at the Analyst Pod. We'd love to hear from you, and please check it out. And we'll be back tomorrow to review the second day's play. Thanks for listening. Podcast Network.